Hi everyone, Pastor Michael here, and I want to thank you for tuning in to our sermon podcast. I want to encourage you to use this resource in addition to, and not in place, of belonging to a local church body as you grow in your faith. If this sermon is a blessing, would you consider giving back to Springs Church? You could do that by giving on the app or by visiting the gift tab on our website at springs.church. I pray this sermon increases your passion for Christ and helps you grow in your walk with God. We're going to continue on in our series of Moses this morning, and then we're going to have a wonderful church-wide picnic and a fellowship together, which I'm looking forward to. But today I'm going to share a message in the series on the life of Moses. This is part four. I'm going to speak on a message that I've entitled, Have You Pitched Your Tent? Have you pitched your tent? We'll talk about that in just a moment. Turn with me to Exodus chapter 33, if you have your Bibles. Exodus 33. I'm going to be in the NIV translation this morning. Father, we've been praying all morning. We have been worshiping all morning. We have been dancing all morning. But I just commit this word to you now, God. I pray the things that you need to speak and the things that you want to say would be clearly spoken this morning, God. Not just through my verbal words, but through the anointing of the Holy Spirit. I pray you'd open hearts. I pray you'd break through. I pray you'd move in lives, Lord, and you would be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. Exodus 33, and I'm going to read a large passage of Scripture, verses 1 through 19, so you're going to have to bear with me. Then the Lord said to Moses, Leave this place, you and the people you brought up out of Egypt, and go to the land I promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, I will give it to your descendants. I will send an angel before you and drive out the Canaanites and the Amorites and the Hittites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. Go up to the land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go with you because you are a stiff-necked people and I might destroy you on the way. When the people heard these distressing words, they began to mourn and no one put on their ornaments. For the Lord had said to Moses, tell the Israelites you are a stiff-necked people. If I were to go with you, even for a moment, I might destroy you. Now take off your ornaments and I will decide what to do with you. So the Israelites stripped off all their ornaments out at Mount Horeb. Now Moses used to take a tent and pitch it outside the camp some distance away, calling it the tent of meeting. Anyone inquiring of the Lord would go to the tent of meeting outside the camp. And whenever Moses went to the tent, all the people rose and stood at the entrance to their tents, watching Moses until he entered the tent. And Moses, as Moses went into the tent, the pillar of cloud would come down and it would stay at the entrance while the Lord spoke with Moses. Whenever the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance to the tent, they all stood and worshiped each at the entrance of their tent. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Then Moses would return to the camp, but his young age Joshua, son of Nun, did not leave the tent. Moses said to the Lord, you have been telling me, lead these people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name, and you have found favor with me. If you are pleased with me, teach me your way so I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. The Lord replied, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Then Moses said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you're pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you have asked because I am pleased with you and I know you by name. 
Then Moses said, Now, show me your glory. And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. When you read the Bible, it's important for you to ask questions as you read. Why? Because it's not enough just to read the gospel or to know the gospel. And as a sidebar, I want to make it clear that the gospel is all over the Old Testament as well as in the New. It's not enough just to know the gospel. You actually have to apply the gospel to your heart and to your life if it's going to be effective and it's actually going to make an impact. And one of the ways you do that is when you read, you ask questions. And some of the questions we need to ask this morning is, what does this passage show us about God? What does this passage show us about ourselves in relationship to God? And when you begin to ask those questions and you study through Exodus chapter 32 and 33, it becomes very evident that this section of scripture is actually beginning to describe our need, ready for this, for revival. We need revival. Now, I know that there are all types of definitions and all types of interpretations of what a revival is, what actually constitutes a revival. And I don't want to get into any of that this morning, but what I want to speak on is our need for revival in the context of revival as personal revival in our own hearts. We are in need of personal revival. This whole text is teaching us of the continual fact of spiritual deterioration and our continual need and the way that we get spiritual revival, personal revival inside of our own hearts. Now, like I said, I don't have time this morning. I don't have time to go back and read through Exodus chapter 32, which is the chapter that came before the passage that I just read to you. But in that chapter, Moses goes up to the Mount Sinai. He goes up to the top of the mountain, and he stays 40 days up on that mountain. And during that time, the Israelites, the people of God, the Bible says that they make a golden calf, and they begin to worship the calf instead of God. Now let that sink in just for a moment. Because these are the very people that actually witnessed God bring 10 horrific plagues on the Egyptians for their sake. They watched as God brought hailstorms and darkness and boils and locusts and an angel of death that murdered all of the firstborn. They were there and they witnessed God show up in a cloud to lead them out of Egypt. Could you imagine that this morning? How many of you spend time every day in prayer seeking after God's will, saying, God, if you would just show me, show me which person I'm supposed to marry. Is this the one or not? Show me which college I'm supposed to go to. Show me which job I'm supposed to take. Show me which state I'm supposed to move to. Imagine you get done with your devotion time and you come out of your, your house and a cloud, a pillar of cloud just comes down right in front of you and begins to lead you into the will of God. It settles on the person you're supposed to date or marry. It settles on the job that you're supposed to stay at. It leads you out of state to the state that you're supposed to be. Could you imagine it? And this is what the Israelites had. In fact, not only did they have a pillar of cloud that led them into the will of God or where God was calling them, they had a pillar of fire at night that lit up so that they were able to see where they were and what they were doing. And if all of this wasn't enough, then they watched God come down and send a wind, split open a Red Sea, 
They walked through the congealed walls of the sea, possibly hundreds of feet high, so big that three million people are able to be able to get through. And I couldn't even imagine as they're walking through it, if they were just sitting there watching as fish kind of floated by through the walls of the sea, they get all the way to the other side. They watch God bring the, sing, the, the whole sea down on their enemies, vanquishing all the bondage that they experienced for 430 years. And then the list of God's redemptive acts, all of God's provision goes on and on and on. They even end up in Mount Sinai where they view the black smoke. They view the consuming fire. They hear the voice of God that was so terrifying that they had to go to Moses and said, you go speak to God for us because we cannot handle the power or the authority of his voice. And then after all of that, after everything I just listed and much more, a few days later, maybe a week, maybe two weeks, they mold a golden calf and they turn away from God. It was like they hit the pinnacle, the peak of revelation, of redemption, of joy, of excitement in the relationship with the Lord. And then their heart goes completely cold and they start questioning God's love. Is he even with them? And they begin to turn to idolatry in a span of 40 days. This passage and many others in the Bible teaches us that no matter how strong your experiences with God are, no matter how close you get to the Lord, no matter how many testimonies you have of his deliverance in your life, you always naturally cool off. Your heart has a dispensation that always drifts away from God. It's our true north. It doesn't matter how many conferences you've attended. It doesn't matter how many events that you've gone to that's brought about a touch of God on your life. Or maybe it was a healing. Or maybe you were slain in the spirit. None of that over time cannot keep your heart from becoming cold to God. And if you're sitting here this morning and you're saying, well, I would never have done that. If I could have just seen those, those redemptive acts with my own eyes, not with the eyes of my heart, but with my physical eyes like the Israelites, I would have been the one in the camp that would have stood Aaron to his face. I would have said no. I would have rebelled against the rebellion. If you are saying that, you haven't been saved for a long enough time. You're probably a youth in Christianity. You don't know the reality of your own heart. You don't know how far it actually drifts from God. You don't know how easily it actually burns down. A number of years ago, um, I had this incredible opportunity to go serve as an intern at a church in Cork, Ireland. I went with a team from my Bible school and one of the first events that we got to be a part of was a Sunday morning baptism. But the baptism wasn't gonna happen at the church because they wanted to have a different location so they could have a fellowship, they could have a lunch after, kind of like what we're doing here. And because we needed to feed hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people, the pastors decided the best thing to do was to roast a full-size pig. See, the Irish don't think like the rest of us here in America. We think pizza. They think go to a butcher and get a full-size pig, right? 
Now, when you're an intern at a church and the pastors decide that they're about to have a pig roast, guess what you're doing the night before the event? You are watching and you are roasting a pig all night long. Now, I didn't know how to roast a pig. So there's a few things that I needed to learn and my team and myself were actually going to be successful. See, when you roast a pig, number one, I didn't know this, you actually have to turn it every couple of minutes or charge the skin. It is so fatty, it is so oily that it just catches the fire. It just chars so fast. So you're constantly just turning it little by little. But the second thing that you have to do is you have to make sure the fire never goes out. It takes over eight hours to cook a pig. Right? And if you're doing it over a natural fire, you constantly got to be grabbing firewood and putting firewood in. You constantly got to be stirring it so that the flame doesn't die down. We spent all night making that pig delicious. And then at the last watch of the night, my teammate says, why don't you guys go inside? I'll watch the pig. I'll turn it. I'll make sure the fire. That's what he said. So he said, okay. So we all went inside, we took a cat nap. It was about an hour, hour and a half, I don't know exactly, but we get up and I come out and the sun is now rising. The sun is coming up and everybody's about to be there. Any moment, everyone's gonna be there for the baptism. And I look over, I'm scanning the whole place. And then I see it. I see my teammate actually sitting in the chair right where I left him when he told me to leave and he's sleeping. He is vast asleep. And that's not even the real issue. The real issue is the fire is out and the, kid, the pig is not fully cooked. Let's just say it took some gasoline and some ingenuity to get the pig done by, everybody, by the time everybody got there. I'm not even joking. But the crazy part of the whole story is early on in that night, my, my teammate was bragging to everybody how he was half Cherokee Indian. He said, I'm half Cherokee Indian. I'm Native American and I'm proud of my heritage. And as I was sitting there, I was so frustrated with what he did. We're trying to get the fire started. I'm getting the gasoline. We're sparking this thing up. We're doing everything we can. I kind of look up at my teammate and I said, isn't it like the number one rule for a Native American to never let the fire go out? I mean, Indians are known for keeping the fire burning. We laughed together, it broke the tension, and then we were able to get everything started. We finished the pig, everybody came, they all enjoyed it, they complained a little bit that the skin tasted a little funky, it smelled a little funky. That was probably the fumes from the gasoline, to be honest. But we prayed, and God healed it and blessed it, and everybody walked out fine. But I learned a lesson that night. It's not easy to keep a fire burning. It goes out quicker than you think. See, we all come from homes in America, here in this church. We have thermostats. I got them on both sides right here. In fact, we got them on our iPhones. You can actually change the thermostat on your iPhone. You set the thermostat, you walk away, and the temperature stays where it's supposed to be. You don't have to worry about it. Just put it on the thermostat and be able to walk away. But when you go camping, and that fire is your only source of warmth. It's your only source of light. You know that you can't just walk away. You got to keep adding the wood. You got to keep stirring it up. You got to keep refreshing it or it goes out. And the same is true when it comes to our spiritual life. We don't get a thermostat when it comes to our spiritual life. It's a burning fire according to what scripture says. And anyone who's walked a number of years with the Lord knows 
That is the moment, the moment that you begin to rest on some experience with God and you make it a fixture in your life and you think that you could just go back to it whenever you want, turn it on whenever you want, it does not work. The moment you stop attending to your relationship with God is the moment that it starts to die. And you are shocked by the fact of how fast the spiritual fire actually goes out. You are shocked by the fact of how quick you have to rebuild it, sometimes even starting from scratch. You begin to realize that as a Christian, you have to tend to the spiritual fire day in and day out or its natural course is always to go out. That's how it works. Skip a week of your prayer life. Skip a week of your devotional life. See how hard it is to get back in the habit next week. It's so tough because it's not a thermostat in our life. And there's an empathy. There's, there's something in us that's always dying. We always have to rekindle according to what scripture tells us. And when the fire goes down, this is what I want you to get. We need personal revival in our lives. Revival isn't just for Sunday or isn't just for, for some event or some conference. I need personal revival every week. I need personal revival every month. I need to be constantly filled with the Spirit of God. The Bible says to be continually filled with the Holy Ghost. Continually filled with a passion and a hunger for God. I need revival. You need revival. We need revival. Now here's the question I want to put up on the screen and I want you to see it. What is personal revival? We know we need it, but what is it? Personal revival, and I want you to get this, is getting a conscious sense of the presence of God back into your life. I get a conscious sense of the presence of God back into my life. It's getting a sense of the glory of God again. Revival is when the glory of God passes by and he comes close. In fact, look at Exodus chapter 33, verse 15 through 19 one more time. I want you to see this. Then Moses said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you're pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you have asked because I am pleased with you and I know you by name. Then watch Moses' response. This is profound. Then Moses said, okay, okay. Now then, show me your glory. You wanna know what I think? It's not in the text, so I'm gonna be very careful here. I'm not saying this is what the Bible says. But I think Moses right here in the text is showing his own personal need for a revival. I don't think it was just a revival for Israel that was needed because they had grown cold and turned away from God. I think when Moses came down from that mountain and he saw the worship of the golden calf and he saw all these people that he had tarried for, he had prayed for, he had been rejected by, he stood in the gap for, he went to Pharaoh for, and then he saw his own brother that had walked with him all that way, being one of the people that were leading the people into the idolatry. I think as a leader, something snapped in his own heart. I think he broke. I only know that and, su and suspect that because I know what leadership is. And although I know it on a smaller scale here, I couldn't imagine what it was for three million people. But I think he came down from that mountain and something broke in his own heart. 
I think there was a discouragement that said, and there was a place in the circumstances saying, is this even, is, is this even redeemable? I mean, what are we going to do? I've given my life. I'm in my 80s. I came down here. I, I'm tired. I'm overwhelmed. I'm trying to get them into this promised land, and now they're turning away from God, and, and my own brother stabbed me in the back. He's the one that stabbed me in the back. He led the people into the, well, what am I going to do? And I think he got up on top of that mountain, and he began to intercede like so many leaders do. He put his leadership first, but when he got done with his leadership, he said, I need personal revival now God now after all this I need to see your glory again I need something to revive in me again I need faith again I need strength again I need the anointing of God again I need a personal revival Moses was saying now that this is all done and I've accomplished what I'm supposed to do as a leader oh God show me your glory revive my heart I'm dead the fires burn out the circumstances have been too much the burden has been too great. Revive my heart again, God. And the Lord said, watch this. I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you. And I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. And I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. What do you mean by the presence of God, Pastor Michael? We need to get the conscious presence of God back in our life. But what is the presence of God? Well, according to this text, we experience the presence of God when we have a revelation of God's character. When something about God, with the tr something of the truth of who he is, it could be his wisdom, could be his holiness, it could be his love, it could be his mercy, it could be his goodness. Something of God passes by and it bears down on us. It's no longer just an idea, but it comes down. It bears down on our souls and it melts us, it soothes us, it ignites us. Something of God passes by. Something of God comes down. In fact, look at the prayer of Isaiah. In Isaiah chapter 64, verse 1. Look how he prayed. I love this. Oh, this is what he says. That you would rend the heavens and come down. That the mountains might what? Might melt at your presence. Here's how you know you're in the presence of God. Here's how you know that you're near his face. Here's how you know that you're experiencing revival. God comes down and the mountains melt. Think about it. God came down on Mount Sinai. What happened? The mountain melted. The mountain was consumed. Let me give you an example. There might be some in this room today. You come into church this morning and you're struggling with worry. Anyone ever struggle with worry before? For those who don't, who don't struggle with worry, I'd like to see you afterwards. I'd like, to, I'd like you to tell me what you're doing and prescription drug, the drug, no, no, no. But you got worry. You don't just have worry, you have mountains of worry. You have mountains of anxiety. So what do you do? Well, you make an appointment with a pastor, and that's a good thing. I know sometimes I get up here and I share from my heart some of the burdens of what I deal with in counseling, and everything, but I love meeting with people. I love talking with them. I love having the conversation and praying with them. But I'll tell you what every pastor will do in this house. We'll begin to open up the word, 
And we'll begin to give you scripture. And then what we'll do is we'll show you from the word of God how God is wise, how God is in control, how God knows exactly what he's doing. And now for most part, most of you, including myself, will sit there, will nod, and will say, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? But when God comes down, when his wisdom actually passes by, when it's no longer something you've heard about or just an idea or a scripture you got up here, but it's something where God comes down and it becomes a reality to you. I don't care how high your mountains of worry are. I don't care how high the anxiety goes. It melts in the presence of God. It breaks, it shatters, it's broken, it gets crushed. It is gone when God shows up, when the presence of God is there, when the character and the nature of God passes by, that mountain cannot stand anymore. It gets melted in the presence of God. And I don't have time to get into it today, but I could go through scripture after scripture, story after story, Old Testament and New, and show it to you over and over and over again. But here's the question. You ready? How in the world do we get to experience that? I mean, it's good. I'm glad we can make a shout this morning. I'm glad some people could dance in this place. How, how, how do I experience that? How do I get personal revival in my life? I don't want to just hear that it's there. I don't want to just hear that it's a reality. I don't want scripture to show me. I want to know how. I want to apply it. I want the gospel to work in my heart and my life. How does it work? How do I come in? But what we're going to do is I'm going to show you through the life of Moses and then I'm going to bring you to the New Testament. I'm going to give you one scripture in the New Testament, and then we're going to begin to close. Number one, I'll put this up on the screen, and I need you to get this into your mind. Number one, and I want you to get this, Moses refused to give up. Moses took the tabernacle, and he went outside the camp. God had said that his presence could not dwell in their midst because he was so holy he would consume them. So what does Moses do? Moses goes and builds a tabernacle outside the camp so he could begin to meet with God. In fact, let me put this up on the screen. I want you to see this. Moses, and this is important, was willing to engage his heart on God's terms. And he was willing to wait for God until he showed up. God said, I can't move in that camp. And Moses says, okay then, then I will find you outside the camp. If you won't do it here, I'll engage my heart on your terms. I will go to where your presence is. I will take the tabernacle and meeting and I will take it out of this camp and I will go and find your presence. I will go and find this personal revival that I've been asking and seeking. Moses didn't give up. Moses engaged his heart on the terms of God and he was willing to wait. He kept on going back to that tent of meeting and kept on meeting with God. So much so that his own protege Joshua wouldn't even leave the tent at the night. He said, no, 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 no. If he's just gonna do it a little, I'm gonna do it much. If he's coming out here once in a while and this is where he's seeking after God and he's gonna engage his heart on God's, God's own terms, then I'm gonna stay here all night long. I ain't leaving until I get something from God too. Which I really believe is one of the reasons that Joshua was the next leader of Israel. Now with that said, this idea of you gotta engage your heart on the terms of God. Now with that said, turn with me to Philippians chapter four, verse six through seven, and I wanna read this and attach it to the life of Moses and this idea of personal revival, and then we're gonna close. Philippians chapter four, verse six through seven. Do not be anxious about anything. I laugh when I read that. 
anything? Nothing. I'm missing my Diet Coke. The whole world's falling apart. Right? Nothing. You can't be anxious. And this is a command from God. Don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition and with thanksgiving, present your request to God. In every situation, by prayer and petition and thanksgiving, present your request to God. Then watch this, verse 7, because this isn't a, a separate thought. This is connected. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your heart and your minds in Christ Jesus. Watch what this scripture is saying. He said, don't be anxious for anything. Go and present your request to God in prayer, in thanksgiving, in petition. And then what does it say? Then it said, God's going to come down. God's going to come down, and part of God's character is going to pass by. His peace is going to come by, and he's going to cover your heart. He's going to cover your mind. One of the things that always happens when you begin to become spiritually cold is you lose control of your mind and of your heart. Paul warns us here in Philippians chapter 4 that you can't manage your own thoughts, you can't even manage your own fears if you're not continually in pursuit of God. If you're not in a place of intimacy, if you're not in a place of thanksgiving, if you're not in a place of giving petition, if there's not a heartfelt cry that's coming out of you, Paul's warning that your mind and your heart are gonna be utterly and completely out of control. This passage is telling us, and I need you to understand this, that you have no power over your own anxiety. Why in the world would I need the peace of God to be over my mind and my heart and to guard it if I can control my mind and my heart? You have no power over your own anxiety. And anyone who's being honest this morning would say, that is completely true. That is right on. How many of you can remember a situation in your life that you were anxious over? And how many of you can remember you could not control your anxiety? How many of you would talk to yourself to try to get yourself to sleep at night? How many would try to just watch TV all evening, going through a Netflix series, watching another documentary just to get your mind? You couldn't stop it. You couldn't sleep. You couldn't stop the imaginations of your own thinking, thinking about the worst case scenarios over and 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 over again. People will tell you, don't worry so much. Yeah. Why are you stressed out? Relax. Whatever's going to happen is going to happen. None of that worry is going to help with the situation. I mean, you're just making it worse for yourself. You ever hear these things before? Oh, just don't worry. Just let it go. Let it be. Okay. You can't control it. There's nothing you can do. Yes, it's the fact that I can't control it. That's the issue that I got the anxiety. I get it. I know. See, all of that advice and all the psychology that this world tries to use to stop the anxiety of our own hearts and our own minds does not take into the fact what Paul is saying, that our minds and our hearts are way more powerful than we actually think. And you don't have the power you think you have over it. There are forces inside of us that are outside of our own control. That's what people don't understand. And when you begin to grow cold, when you no longer have that spiritual fire, and you're no longer experiencing personal revival, these forces begin to become your master and they begin to torment you. They torment you. 
But look at what Paul says, because he actually gives us a remedy, and it's what we've been talking about out of the life of Moses. What does Paul actually say? He says, don't be anxious for anything, and then he says this, but make your request known to God. He says, make your request to God. Now, there are people here, and I can see it on your face already. You just chuckled, and you said, Pastor Michael, come on. I've done that. Anybody with half a brain has done that. I've gone to God. I had my own prayer time. I came to a Wednesday night. I made all my requests known. I put my list out there. I told God where I was at. I made sure he knew. I even gave him the solutions to the problem. I told him who in my family had the money. I told him where he could go get it. I told him the judge that I was going to have to go in front of for this court case. I, 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 I told him the solutions. I had the prayer time. And nothing. No personal revival. I didn't walk out of there and the mountains began to melt, as you're saying. I walked out of that and I was the same as I was before. Ah! But Paul says there's a very specific way that you actually have to present your request before God. See, you have to be willing to engage your heart like Moses on God's terms. It's not just presenting the request that brings the peace, that brings the presence of God, that brings the personal revival. Paul says there's a way you have to do it. It wasn't just sitting there at the tent in the meeting in the camp. He had to go outside the camp. He had to go where God said his promise of his presence would be. And we have to do the same. We can't just take a piece of this scripture and just say, okay, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to present my request and then it's enough. Paul says, no, 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 no. You have to be willing to engage your heart on God's terms. And God has a way that you have to present your requests. Like Moses, you have to go outside the camp where God's presence, where his power is at. These verses say, don't be anxious about anything, which is impossible when you become spiritually cold. But if it happens, present your request to God. How? With prayer, with petitions, and with thanksgiving. Now, this blew me away as I was reading this because I always thought prayer and petition was the same thing. And then I began to realize, why in the world would he list prayer twice? Prayer, petition, and then thanksgiving. There must be something I'm missing. Prayer and petitions are two different things. And this is where we get messed up as Christians. And I want you to see this. Prayer in the context of what Paul is actually saying in this chapter of scripture is not just presenting petitions to God. It's not just requests. It's not even intercession. You know what it is? It's worship and it's adoration. He says, if you're going to present your request before God, you have to worship and you have to adore him. Then you bring your petitions. Then you bring your thanksgiving. And if you do it like this, if you meet God on his own terms, if you take the tent outside of the camp, you got to take the tent outside of normal and acceptable Christianity. Listen, normal and acceptable Christianity, I'm going to be honest with you, it's just feed me, 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 feed me. Normal, acceptable Christianity is just information. Give me more information. It's just coming and getting fellowship. It's just community. That's normal. That's just acceptable Christianity. Ah, but it's the worshipers. Those are the ones that are saying, no, 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 this is not enough. I'm going outside of all of this. Just ritual. I'm going outside of all these formalities. I'm going to adore the presence of God. I'm going to go worship. I'm going to go see his glory. I'm taking my tent. I ain't staying around here. And I'm going where my heart is going to engage God on his terms everybody else sat and watched Moses says I'm going (sighs) 
you've drifted from the Lord, if your spiritual fire has gone out, and now you're facing all types of problems that are just utterly impossible, and because of your problems and because of your spiritual coldness, now you're dealing with just being consumed with anxiety. You will never get your spiritual fire back. You will never soothe all of the, the anxiety that are in your thoughts that you're dealing with. It'll never happen from you just running into the presence of God and bringing him a list of requests. It doesn't work that way. Like Moses, you gotta go outside the camp. What was the tabernacle? What was the tent of meeting? It was the place of worship. It was worship. Moses was leaving the camp. He was leaving the daily rituals of religious people to engage his heart in adoration and worship. How do you know that, Michael? Because look at his prayer in Exodus chapter 33. What was the one thing that Moses was after over everything else? God said, I'll give you blessing. I'll give you the land. I'll give you victory over your enemies. I'll give you good health. I'll give you milk. I'll give you honey. And what did Moses say? Not good enough. I don't want blessings. I don't want land. I want you. I want to see your glory. I want to worship you. I want to adore you. I don't want your hand. I want your face. Before you make a request known to God, Paul says that you have to take the tabernacle outside the camp. You need to pray. You need to worship. You need to adore. You have to come into God's presence. This is hard, and for the time being, you gotta forget about the request. For the time being, you even gotta forget about your spiritual deadness. And you gotta begin to adore him. You gotta begin to worship him. Now, how's this work in our, our normal life, Pastor Michael? How, how do I make this happen? Well, let me give you some examples. You come here on Sunday morning. You come here on Wednesday night, maybe at home, and you're dealing with all types of anxious thoughts and you can't stop it. The power of your mind just can't stop it. But you got a choice when you come into this house. You got a choice when you come to Wednesday night prayer. You got a choice in your own home. You still have the ability to remind yourself of all the promises that God has already given you. You can remind yourself of every scripture that God has given you, life scriptures, situational scriptures. God has given you things already. And you can make a choice, even with all the noise that's going around in your mind and your heart, you can decide if you will remind yourself of these things, if you will focus your attention on these things and begin to adore God, to begin to worship God, to begin to say, God, look what you gave me here. Look at your character over here. Look at your goodness. Look at your faithfulness. Look at this promise that shows your mercy or your holiness. Oh God, I adore you today. God, I lift you up today. God, I praise you today. And if you're so filled with anxiousness and you're so spiritually dead in your own heart and there's not an ember of fire left and none of that works, you can't even begin to remind yourself of all the promises he's already given you. You can remember your salvation. You can remember that God sent his only son to come down to this earth to become a man, to die on a cross and to bear your sins and my sins in his own body and to resurrect in three days to justify us all. And if that's all the truth that you got, you can make the choice to remember it and adore and worship God. It's a choice that you have to make. It's a decision that you have to make.
This is amazing. When you do that, and you stay there in adoration and worship, you stay there. Moses kept on going back, pinching that tent in the meetings outside that camp. Let me say this. I get how hard it could be to worship God. I understand it. My wife and I have been through battles. And I don't know why God wired me this way. Me and him get into it sometimes about this. But I'm an artist. I'm a feeler. Artists are feelers. We feel things, and then we try through our feelings to captivate it through visual means. I, I'm a photographer. I'm an artist. Right? I keep telling God, I don't need to be an artist. I need to be a CEO. i got to figure out how to run this stuff. And we go into it together. But God wires me as an artist. That's how I am. So I come in, and I feel things. I feel things deeply. I mean deeply. And there are days I get done with my week, and I come in here, and I'm getting ready for Sunday. I'm trying to carry two services. Look how I'm preaching. Do you understand what this is like for two services? I'm worshiping with everything in me. I'm giving everything. I got people say, don't worship so loud. Don't worship. And I look at them and say, this is just the beginning. I'm about to get more undignified than even this. I'm going outside the camp, whether you come or not. But I come in and I got everything swirling around in my mind and always, always the bad news comes Sunday morning, probably an hour before the service and then it begins to hit you. And oh, this family has left the church or this person, or we're having struggles here or you didn't know this about this or we tried to hide this from you but we knew you were gonna find out so now we're gonna tell you, whatever it is. And I come in here sometimes and I got the weight of the world on my shoulders just like you do. And I gotta make a choice. I gotta make a choice. My spiritual fire goes out like your spiritual fire goes out. But this week ahead, I need spiritual fire. I need personal revival. I don't want to miss my prayer times with God. I don't want to miss my intercession. I don't want to miss that person that I walk by at the grocery store. I want my heart alive. I want faith in my heart. I need faith in my heart to believe. Believe for this country. Believe for this church. Believe for this city. I need revival. And I got a choice when I come into this house. Am I going to sit there in that chair and have a pity party? Sit around? Or am I going to make the choice to remember? And if all I got is God's salvation that morning, that is enough. And I get up. You know what I do? I make a choice to sing praises to God. I make a choice. You know what I do? I even change my body posture. Some of you wonder why I lift my hands. You want to know why I lift my hands like this? Because sometimes that's all I could do to begin to engage my own heart. Because I'm so tired, so out of it, so overwhelmed. Sometimes I got to change the body posture. Sometimes I got to get on my knees. Sometimes I got to lay on my face. Sometimes I got to lift my hands because it's all I got to begin to engage my heart. I got to engage my heart. And I make the choice to begin to remember. And as I sing these songs as declarations and prayers unto God, every line and every moment, I'm praying in tongues. I'm telling God he's glorious. I'm telling God you're beautiful. I'm looking at what he's done. I'm remembering what he's already done. I'm remembering promises. I'm, 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 I'm worshiping and I'm adoring. And let me tell you what happens when you stay in that place. Like Moses, when you keep going back to that tent of tabernacle outside the camp, outside the normal formalities of religiosity, and you begin to go out of that camp, and you keep adoring God, you keep worshiping God, you give him your petitions, you give him your thanksgiving, but you adore him, you worship him. Let me tell you what happens. God comes down. Something of God's character, something of his nature will pass by, and it begins to melt your heart. It melts worry. It melts anxiety. It melts fear. It melts indifference. It melts it. And the spiritual fire 
begins to be enacted again. Personal revival begins to come. A conscience, understanding, and experience of the presence of God comes back into the heart. I am not preaching this because this is just a good teaching. I live this in my life. I live it week in. I live it week out. I live it month by month, day by day, hour by hour. You begin to worship him from your heart and then watch what the words of Philippians chapter four, verse six and seven says. And then, and then watch this. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, that blows my mind. You're not gonna make any sense of it. You will not make sense. Will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. God says, you do this. You engage on my terms. You give me the worship and adoration. You pitch that tent outside of the camp. And my presence will come down and my peace will begin to guard your heart. It won't even make any understanding in the natural, but I'll begin to do it. And what's amazing about this scripture, and oh, I wish I had another hour to preach because I could do it. I could do it. What's so amazing about this scripture, and I need you to understand, is God didn't say I was going to change the circumstances. He might change the circumstances. He might not change the circumstances. But he says, no matter which way it goes, I don't change that. I change you. You're going to walk through it with peace in your heart. You're going to walk through it with fire in your spirit. You're going to walk through it with God coming down and melting every area inside of your heart. He didn't, and this is amazing. He didn't say the prayers were going to make you feel better. He said, God, I'm going to make you feel better. The peace of Jesus Christ is going to make you feel better. Wow. What a promise. Stand with me, Spring Church. Just stand with me. Let's give the Lord a round of applause this morning and thank you for his goodness. <laughs> Hallelujah. Worship team, I didn't even call you. Thank you for coming out. Come out, come out. Could we end? We got a, a fellowship we got to get to. Could we end doing something? Because I believe this word is an invitation this morning. This is not a teaching. This is the Holy Spirit saying, I want to do it right now. I want to do it right now in this house. Could we do this this morning? If you know that you got mountains of things going on in your life, or you know you need personal revival, can we make a sacrifice of praise to God today? Can we worship him and begin to adore him and allow the Holy Spirit to have his way in this house? And this is what I'm going to say. If some of you need to get up out of the seat and you need to come down to the altar, the altar ministry is just going to hang out for a second. You could come pray with them too. But if you want to come down to the altar just to worship or you want to, you want to go out in between the chairs or wherever you need to be, if you want to change your body posture, want to get on your knees, lift your hands, would you take a few minutes this morning to say, God, I'm going to adore you. I'm going to adore you. I'm going to pitch my tent outside of just normality and I'm going to begin lifting my songs up to you. And can we take a few moments just to do that now? I've asked the team, can we just sing House of Miracles together? You don't have to be afraid. I'm going to be up front. If you want to come up front, you come join me. I want to worship. I want to worship. And as we worship, can we just say, Holy Spirit, come down. Melt the mountains. Let the glory of God pass us by. Let it pass by. Let it touch us today. Let's sing together. Let's sing together. Hallelujah. 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 Thanks again for listening to our Springs Church podcast. For other exciting content from Springs Church, be sure to visit us online at springs.church. If you'd like to partner financially with Springs Church, you have the opportunity to give by visiting the Give tab of our website, springs.church.